Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the podcast as well. And this is a little different than normal post-game edition. Um, we're on the road. We are in our hotel. It is cold. We have warmed up. We've had some food in our bellies now. Uh, Oregon 26-16 victory. It's a 10-point win. It's a, a game in which Oregon threw for less than 100 yards in the total game. And I, I'm going to say it. They kicked their ass. Like I, I know it's a 10-point win, and I know that especially in that first half for 25 minutes probably of the first half, uh, Duck fan was probably very frustrated with the offense. But defensively, you look at what happened in this game for UW uh, when they had the football. Offensively, you see that Oregon in the second half only had to throw the, fo- the ball five times because they were running it down their throats, as Travis Dye put it. This was an ass-kicking and one that feels like Oregon, they won by 10, but it just feels like they maybe won by 20. Think about all the things that had to go wrong in that first quarter for this game to be what the score is. Yeah. You know, uh, six play from scrimmage is an interception by Anthony Brown, which is really bad. And, and, and that's on Anthony Brown, right? It, it, it was similar to maybe what we saw against Stanford where he just didn't seem to see the linebacker and the player jumped it and Carson Bruner almost took it for a touchdown. Good for Abby to bring him down. It ended up mattering. He still scored a touchdown from Sean Nagru two players later. Um, but that was a brutal way to start the game. And then the way the field position, just back and forth, back and forth. Oregon unable to get out of its own end zone, and Travis Dye going down for a safety that makes it 9-3 eight minutes into this game. And it really was just like, could not have gone much worse from an Oregon offensive perspective to start that game. They get a field goal in there, but their first two drives, or sorry, the first three drives, two of them result in points basically directly for Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest of the half was pretty ugly until... A really crucial sequence, and I think this really was where the game was flipped. Matt said in the press box as it was happening, Washington goes for it on fourth and one on the fringe of the red zone. I think it was at the 24-yard line. It's a wildcat situation. Jared made this point earlier, and I hadn't thought about it, but in 19, I think there were two similar stops out of the wildcat, um, both on fourth down. Is that right? Yeah. And we saw it again. Jeffrey Bossa, Brandon Dorlis. Jeffrey Bossa had an awesome game. We'll talk about him more. Um, but he shot the gap. Those two are right in the backfield. It's stopped for a loss of a yard. And Oregon then offensively kind of wakes up and drives it right down the field. A couple nice passes by Anthony Brown, who had been really bad to start the game. Three for 11, I think, to start for like 20-something yards and an interception. It was rough sledding. QBR was like 27.1, yeah. 27.6. It was like as close to zero as you're going to see it without it being zero. But then he had a really nice throw to Jalen Red down the seam, and they, they capped the drive with... A good throw to Devin Williams for a touchdown, and suddenly Oregon has a lead. And from there, it was kind of the rat was on. It really wasn't particularly competitive from my perspective the rest of the way. But the second half was awesome. The third quarter in particular, offensively, just boom, boom, boom. Again, didn't need to throw the football. Oregon, I think the first touchdown drive, six runs. Travis Dye caps it. Um, or no, sorry, Anthony Brown capped that one too, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Because Tra- Travis got the ball to the five on the 45-yard run to Anthony, ended up skipping in there from yes, about sir. two yards in. Yeah. But no, I, I think... The, again, the final, the, 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 you look at the box score, and again, the final score is 26 to 16, and maybe not indicative of the fact that Oregon outgained Washington 427 to 166, 22 first downs to 7. Um, really, Washington had one drive of any. One drive. One drive all game that went more than 27 yards. I think yeah, that's right. a stat that is pretty remarkable. Washington did have 
an 11-play drive for 70, uh, that went 75 yards and did result uh, in their lone touchdown that was in, you know, not set up off of an Oregon turnover. Um, other than that, this Husky offense couldn't really do anything. And I, I, I think I said this after the game. I kind of posed a question to Mario like this. He didn't seem to disagree. This was the best this defense has played all year, and they needed it considering what the conditions were. Um, I think it's really notable that this was a game where we talked about it in the lead in, didn't we? This is, I, this is the point I made. Is this is going to come down to who can run the ball more effectively. And I think this stat, to me, tells a big, the whole story, basically. Oregon, 329 yards rushing. Washington, 55. Yeah, this was this what what Matt said. This is an ass kicking. Um, I'll be annoying for a second and read you the the drive chart from Washington. <laughs> so the first drive of the game was a touchdown. Eric touched on that. It was mm-hmm. two plays for six yards. Then it went punt, punt, punt. All three announced interception, turnover on downs, punt, end of the half. Then punt, punt, punt to start the second half. All three and outs. Their lone touchdown drive, and then a safety at the end of the game. <laughs> we didn't get that. This is terrible. No, that was <laughs> uh, one of the most interesting play sequences ever. It's fourth down and ten, and Washington has less than two minutes remaining in the game, down eight. Jimmy Wake, Jimmy Lake, excuse me, waves the proverbial white flag and elects to punt uh, next to their own end zone, and then the snap goes over the punter's head out of the end zone, and it's a safety. And that was uh, that was it for Washington's offense. That was literally it. I, I was going to say, I want to ask you to do something that the listeners, I'll never ask you this again because it's mean. Put yourself in the Washington fan base, like, shoes for a moment and think about how you would feel if, if you decided to punt it from your own 10-yard line with, like, a minute and something to change to go, down eight points, but no chance of really winning the game after you do that. And not only does that happen, then the punt sails, like, what, four yards over the, Wasn't even the punter's head? Like, Wasn't close. I mean, what a awful way, an embarrassing way to end a football game. Because they still, despite all of this, kind of had some life after Oregon, we should know, shot itself in the foot a little bit. I'm, I'm not going to be Their critical. Drive of the game. I'm not going to be really 100%. critical of Oregon at all because I think they played really, really well for the most part. There was, again, there were some up and down points in the first half offensively. Brown didn't start great. That drive there was very frustrating because if Oregon scores a field goal or scores a touchdown, it's over. Over. And yet there's consecutive plays where there are 15-yard penalties. I know Matt has a strong opinion on the Alex Forsyth one. Yeah. The Michael Pittman one is correct, yeah, but that was very frustrating. The Pittman one doesn't even happen if the if the right. sure. referees don't look at Alex Forsyth grabbing a man and putting him on his back mm-hmm. and going, oh, that was extremely violent. I feel bad for that kid, so I'm going to throw a flag to protect him and his family because he just <laughs> got destroyed a, on TV. It was a sympathy flag. It was a sympathy flag. Like, <laughs> yeah, Alex, like... I would love – Mirabal was going nuts on the yeah. sideline because as an offensive lineman, you are taught to grab your defender – or not grab your defender, that's the wrong word. You are taught to push and to get your defender on his back. And Alex Forsyth, that was like one of the best blocks I have ever seen uh, under at least the Mario Cristobal era, even including Penny Sewell. Like I've seen Sewell have some better blocks than that, but that's up there with how good of a block it was. It never should have been called. Be- mm-hmm. And then the the I think Travis Dye got to like the three yard line. I think it was a two. It was inside the it five. Was right Absolutely. in there. Yeah. And they were gonna score the next play. And so that took points off the board. And so the Pittman stuff was inexcusable. And the offense in the first half was really bad. Uh it was very clear. Anthony Brown himself even came out and was like, Look, I gotta give them credit. Like they were doing some things and it 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 impacted the way we could throw the football. But 
there is no better way in a game of football to show your dominance over your opponent, and especially in this game, your rival, your arch rival, the school that talked a mad shit all week, Mm -hmm. all summer about you. And there's no better way to go into the second half and say, you know we're running it, we know we're running it, you can't stop it, here we go, let's hop on because we're going to carry you for 300 yards of total offense in the second half and destroy you. I mean, mm-hmm. Travis Dye had more rushing yards than Washington did as a team. And then Washington had total yards. Total yeah, yards. total yeah. yards. And and we we heard all about... I've been one of the guys saying, can Travis Dye be the guy? Can he handle this kind of a workload? Can he do this? I even at halftime was like, this is a game that you need to be able to have a guy like C.J. Verdell or Cyrus Avila-Keo who could run the football for four or five yards every single time, fall forward, and just grind out victories. I didn't think Travis Dye could do it. And we got the best performance from Travis Dye in his career, we got one of the best performances by any Oregon running back. Michael mm-hmm. James, Kenyon Barnard, DeAnthony Thomas, Jonathan Stewart, C.J. Verdell. You go through the list. Die had probably the best performance, I think, when you take into context what he had with the passing game behind his back and who they were playing in this game. He probably had the best game of any Oregon running back, statistically speaking, and context speaking, that that we've ever seen in this history of, of this rivalry game. It, it was Travis Dye will go, should, should go down, needs to go down as one of the best running backs Oregon has had because now that he's getting the opportunities to showcase what he can do as the lead guy, I don't know how you, you, you don't like this guy. He, he is awesome. To, I mean, you, you lent, Eric, you leaned into me one time, one game, and this game was like, Travis Dye is so freaking good. Like, that, and he doesn't get the, the, the credit. It was after no. it was after his. I guess it's his only touchdown, which feels weird because it felt like he was he had scored more than once. But the it was a 19 yard run and the footwork to get out there and the patience to get out there and wait yep. for George Moore to set a block and wait for Anthony Brown to get ahead and kind of set a block to get in the way at least. I mean that was pretty special. And like Matt said, I, I do think he deserves a special place in history. I think this is the second most rushing yards an Oregon player's had in this series. I was just trying to find... It's Jonathan Stewart. Is it Jonathan Stewart? 251 okay. yards in I was going to say, I was just trying to find out who it was. I thought it was Stewart, but I wasn't 100% sure. Um, awesome performance from this guy. True. He put the team on the back in the second half, really. I mean, and, and was, was the offense. And, you know, you look at what the... You can talk about the offensive line paving huge holes. They totally did that. Another great performance from these guys. And it was, again, with Ryan walked down with an injury, mm-hmm. those listening, sadly, we don't have an update. We, that wasn't something that was addressed. Our time with Mario was a little bit truncated today. Yeah, yeah. Um, plus, there was a lot of other things to get to well, on Monday. I'm sure find out what the latest with Ryan Walk was. You saw, what is it, left uh, knee brace? Yeah, left knee brace on crutches was not only using crutches, was using some of his own power. But, you know, it's certainly something to keep an eye on moving forward. Yeah. Uh, Alex Forsyth replaced him. Uh, I think it's important to note that Forsyth and Walk traded off drives, basically, in the first half. Uh, I don't have my notebook with me, but um, Ryan Walk ended up playing five of Oregon's first eight drives of the game uh, at center, mm-hmm. and Forsyth played the remaining three. But uh, Walk was hurt on the second drive in, in the second half, and Forsyth took over from there. And, again, Oregon's offensive line didn't this would be not exactly. at all. No, this is like the... I don't know, man. Like the third or fourth time where Oregon's tried something new on the offensive line, and it just hasn't mattered in a good way. 
They just haven't missed a beat. TJ Bass is still playing left tackle. Um, Dawson Jaramillo came in, played a lot of left guard. Right tackle. Right, right tackle, too. Well, I think right guard. Johnny Dawson played everywhere besides right tackle center today. Yeah, he, uh, again, Dawson has been such a huge thing to this offensive line, just capable of filling in any position no matter what. And he could fill in at center if there was a hypothetical here, too. Right. Um, just a great overall performance. Uh, I would like to, to note that this the score could have been even larger had yep. Byron Cardwell fallen into the oh. end zone at the end of the game. And if Mario Cristobal decided to... That's <sighs> another flex of extend your the lead. Yeah, I mean... Carbo was a half yard short of making this a thirty-four sixteen or thirty-three sixteen game. I and that and honestly, I know it feels like it's a small thing. Perception nationally, those seven points might have might actually kind of sure. big. Might people are, people are just scoreboard watching, which I would imagine is no, the committee. I don't think will right. I think the committee is, is saying that they yeah, won't. probably had a couple of people stay up and watch. That that game. You know, three of the thirteen people probably caught it. That's a, yeah. that's sarcasm. I'm hoping everybody's watching all of these <laughs> top teams play so they can actually accurately assess it, or else what are we doing? But that was one where it's like it was ruled to touch on the field. They reviewed it, took the points off the board. Morgan. Could have used a timeout and really, really tried to get some style points. That would have that would have even kind of sat wrong with me. I don't know. Would you guys like that if Mario took a timeout and then no. to punch it in? I would have been all for it. You would have been all for it. All oh, for yeah, it. I would have been all for I it mean, as well. We saw in the committee on Tuesday, the playoff committee, talk about style points. Style points. I mean, they didn't come out and directly link to that, but they said that t- uh, Cincinnati was at six because they struggled to put away teams. The last two weeks. Same with Oklahoma. Same with Oklahoma. And so that's code for style points. And I don't care how it comes. You, you, a 17 point win is better than a 10 point win, um, in this game. And so I, I personally would have, would have ran the football and maybe they were going to and they just didn't realize the clock was going to run. And by the time they realized it, it wasn't going to happen. But who knows? I, I like to think that they just chose to say, we're at your one yard line. We could score if we really want to, and you basically know that you stopped us because we chose not to run a play. I think I don't. I, I think it would have been okay if Mario ran up the score um, mm-hmm. after the touch, after the call touchdown on the field by Byron Cardwell. I looked up at the television monitor that was to our left, and if you were at home watching this, you you saw this as well, but. Mario was pretty happy that Byron Cardwell crossed the line and was ruled that it was a touchdown. And I think that's something that's notable. He, uh, I don't know if we, you know, the locker, the, the post-game, the locker room speech, I don't know how much we want to we'll get, get into, into that. some of that. And there's some post-game stuff with the players getting into a scuffle I think we should talk about too. But, but like, we can talk about the game for a minute a lot. Yeah, I was just going to say that he was, you know, very excited to, uh-huh. to have this win over Washington. And, look, it was... Like, Matt opened the podcast with, I, I think it was a complete ass-kicking. Um, holding Washington to under 200 yards in general, the entire game, under 175. We can narrow it down even more. We sure can. Uh, the, the run defense was just great all day long. I think uh, Washington's longest run was 14 yards, something like that. It, it was just a very, very good overall performance from the Ducks' defense. Uh, the offense started slow, but they really figured it out and just said, hey, we're going to run the ball. And that goes with Cardwell and that goes with Anthony Brown as well. Uh, I thought Brown's legs were a huge part of Oregon's success. He had a couple nice runs, mm-hmm. just first down gainers. And you know, he only threw five passes in the second half, but one of them was one of the more important ones in the game on a third yes. third and ten. 
Mm-hmm. Oregon's you know kind of moving the ball down the field. He finds Johnny Johnson back from his uh, targeting suspension in the second half for a 13-yard gain. Keeps the legs turning, and I think that that was important. He made the plays when he needed to. I wanted to make one more offensive point, and I think we should spend some time on defense before we get into some of the post-game stuff. Mm-hmm. How about the fact that they, in a rivalry game like this, they trusted Byron Cardwell to carry it 16 times? You know, I saw that he had 16 carries. I was stunned. I, w- I, I just saw it like as we were recording this. Didn't feel I, like I thought 16. he had maybe 10 to 11, maybe 16. So that's a heavy workload. 16 to 55. And I thought it was notable. I'll take it. Did we see any of seven, McGee? No. No, no seven or track. We didn't see either of them. So I mean, it's know. clear that who the number two guy is right now. Mar- yes. Mar- and Martin Mar- Mar- pushed back a little bit last week when I asked, hey, well, what did Byron do to kind of well, solidify this role? He loves to push yeah. back. When we don't, when we put words in their mouth that he doesn't say, but I, I think it's pretty clear now um, that yes. this is a number. This, or it, I mean, it sure feels like it. It's kind of hard to argue against it. I would love to see the, the you know, the carry slash touch comparison between Cardwell and McGee and Benson combined since CJ's injury, because I think it's very, I think it's very, very clear that Byron is a, is the number two guy now, mm-hmm. and he's. Did not have his best day. Was not anywhere near as effective as against Colorado. You made the point that there were felt like every time there was a breakdown from the offensive yeah, line, Byron was like was really Byron unlucky. was in there, like, <laughs> you know. And Travis had pretty good luck with some of that. At the same time, sixteen carries, fifty-five yards, didn't fumble it. I think had maybe two carries for loss the whole time. It was very effective. You like what you're seeing out of him as a as a key part of his offense now. He had two like huge runs, both third down plays yeah. where he. Did not go backwards. He fell forwards. He had a third and four where he took on two guys at once and just ran into them and kept moving, kept the legs turning. And yeah, I thought it was a really good performance from him. True freshman, uh, obviously not as you know stat padding or stat catching, excuse me, as as the Colorado performance. But I feel, still feel like he really solidified himself again as the second running back. And to have that capability, to have you know, Byron Carbo, who's you know solid four-star recruit as San Diego as your backup running back to Travis Dye, I think that's a good position. And they still have Seven McGee and Trey Benson to bring along. But against Washington, this is exactly what they needed behind Dye. Some notes about Dye. Ran for a career-high 211 yards, also one touchdown. First player to run for more than 200 yards against Washington since December 20th, 2011, when Terrence Ganaway for Baylor did that. I think that was an Alamo Bowl game. Um, Ten years. Most rushing yards by an Oregon player since C.J. Verdell went for 257 against Washington State in 2019. His 211 rushing yards are the most by a Pac-12 player this season. He's the first UVO player to rush for at least 200 yards since C.J. Verdell in 2019's Pac-12 championship game. Verdell had 208. Uh, he has... 22 passes caught for 236 yards and a touchdown in the last five games. Um, the Ducks are 15-1 and all-time when he scores a touchdown. Hmm. He went into ninth in the rushing list for all-time at Oregon with 2,666 yards in his career. Uh, and the second time in this season, sixth time in his career, went over 100. And he ran for 154 yards and a touchdown on 18 carries in that second half when everyone in the building, everyone on the planet knew that Travis Dye was getting the, getting the football. I, I I flipped my opinion on him tremendously this season. I, I think this is gonna he's this performance will go down as one of the best ever. 
for for a, a, a player on offense in this type of a game for a rivalry game against Washington. If you have more to say on Guy, I just wanted to say this feels like you can, in a second, I, this feels like the year of flipping opinions on players. Yes. He's not the only one. Ryan Walk, I think a lot of people weren't sure what his role would be. Yep. After the Graham Meyer Crystal said it, and it's true, he's <clears> one of the most valuable players to this team. His injury, Absolutely. whatever it is, is significant if he misses times. He's an extremely valuable part. And the other one that really stands out is Camden Lewis, who, again, Shout out Camden. Big field goal. Big field goal. They needed those points early. It was yep. They were really in a world of hurt offensively. They had a nice drive. Split the uprights. Again, I think he's the I, – he, I, I shouldn't say I think. I know he remains the only perfect kicker from a field goal perspective this season. Was he great on kickoffs? Not his best day. We should note in that first quarter, kicking into, like, heavy headwinds. Yeah. Um, but I just think it's notable that those three players are all players that had – Received a lot of criticism through their mm-hmm. careers to this point, and I think this year have really shut up a lot of the doubters. And maybe this is a not so subtle transition to tough defense. I think another player who we weren't sure about. I don't think we had negative opinions like we did with the others. Maybe I don't. You know, I don't know. Negative, negative is not the right word, but like I just wanted to shout out Jeffrey Bossa again yes. because we were not sure. Yeah, Jared's doing a dance. You can't see it on. The, it's not a video podcast, but we weren't sure what was going to happen with this position once. Not one, not two, but like three top guys at will went down. And it's not just anybody. It's Justin Flo goes down. Mm-hmm. Bossa played like a five-star recruit. He played like a top-tier talent. Yep. He was awesome. He, he had was six really tackles. Good. He had the only sack in the game. You know, it was an ugly game, but only one sack. I think it's kind of notable. He had one and a half tackles for loss. Oregon as a team had three. He had a pass breakup. The, I think the notable thing is a lot of these plays happened in crucial situations. That that tackle. the fourth down tackle, him and Dorless, that was huge. The sack of Dylan Morris, I believe, was on third down as well. Um, he and KT, yeah, those were both in there. Um, like he's making huge plays, and that was a, predi- a, a position that was such a clear hole. And I, I don't want to bag on the guy who was there before, but they've had guys, they had guys rotating in there that just weren't playing very Good. well. They, yeah, just they just weren't playing, playing well. well. They just weren't playing well. Okay. They're getting so much better production out of that. And I also think another player that deserves a lot of credit tonight for stepping into a role that was the position that was highly criticized last year, and for, or last week, I should say, and for a good reason, Jordan Happel. Really mm-hmm. played Had the interception today, the only turnover Oregon forced, had five tackles. Um, I thought played really well. He had a couple of those, you know, those tackles were significant in mm-hmm. run, run, in, in, uh, run support. Oregon right now is down so many players on defense, but those two spots in particular, to me, stand out. I know Jamal Hill probably deserves credit for filling in for Bennett Williams again. He had three tackles. But those two in particular stand out to me. Like, those were such clear holes in this defense, right? That will yeah. spot. And then even last week, just when Steve Stevens went down, it was like, okay, Brian Addison's going to play here the rest of the way. It's not a good situation, probably. Addison, I don't think, played the whole game. If he did, it was very much spot duty. Mm-hmm. Um, those two guys deserve a shout-out, along with Noah Sewell, who was just everywhere again. Shocker. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the linebacking core had a great day today. Sewell and, and Bossa combined for 16 tackles, uh, one sack, one and a half tackles for loss, and all three of Oregon's pass breakups. Uh, they, they were everywhere. I mean, I'm really excited of, about the way Jeffrey Bossa is playing. Mm-hmm. Um, three straight games with six tackles. Three straight, yeah. I, I wrote about him this week on Duck Territory, and just the, hearing hearing what a, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau and Verone McKinley the third had to say about Bossa was really impressive. Uh, you know, Travis Dyes shouted out Bossa today in his yeah. post-game press conference. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, everybody is realizing how good this kid is playing, 
And that's that's huge for Oregon. You know, we Eric just went over it, but losing Drew Mathis and Justin Flo as your will linebackers, those are. I mean, Drew Mathis is a veteran, and, and Flo has this you know unbelievable potential to become a really really good player. And Boston man, he's really filling in well at that linebacker position. Um, every time I see him play well, I want him to add twenty pounds and become a full time linebacker because what his intangibles are are really impressive. The last three weeks, he's really grown as a player, mm-hmm. and you see it every single time he takes the field now. He's no longer, I think, I think Veron McKinley was talking about this, was that he, he no longer thinks how to play. He just relies on his instincts at linebacker now, which is just huge. And for him and Sewell to be your, your starting linebackers and play this well right now, it's a really good thing for Oregon's defense. Um, I think the only thing with them that happened tonight was uh, on Washington's lone yeah. touchdown drive in the second half. They attacked that middle linebacker spot in coverage early and often, and it happens. You know, you can't be perfect every drive. I mean, I, again, I read off all the drives, and Oregon wasn't perfect on one of them, basically. Right. And regardless though seeing Jeffrey Boss excel and, and you know shout out to Jordan Happel as well who played great who was you know, often criticized last year but yeah. came back and had a really big performance uh, Ron McKinley who was um, third, third leading tackler for Oregon today seemed rather quiet but I think that's okay I think he did his job coming down for the safety spot and popping a few guys in the middle of the field and that's exactly what you want from your safety. All right, and one last thought in boss, and then I'll throw it to you, Matt, because I, I think we should talk about some of the post-game stuff, and yep. you, you know those details maybe a little better than the two of us because you've watched some of the Instagram video. I just want to say with boss, I thought it was really notable, back to what the players and teammates said about him on Wednesday, that Kayvon Thibodeau talked about the emotional leaders of this team mm-hmm. on the defensive side and said Bassa was one of them already. Mm-hmm. And that's a significant thing to say about a true freshman who's making like his fourth start. Um, I think this guy's a star. At a position he didn't at a, come at, into play. Yeah, and not only the position, it's not like he moved from outside linebacker to inside linebacker. He was playing nickel. He was playing defensive back. He was a defensive back out of high school, and now he's playing linebacker position. He like basically didn't really play much in high school at all. So very impressed with him. Very excited to see what the future holds for him. Mario Cristobal has said consistently he's going to move back to defensive back at the end of the year. I won't challenge him on that. I'm just going to be curious to see what he looks like in that nickel spot and, and, and what that looks like going forward because this guy has to be on the field next year, period. Yeah, End of story. 100%. The, I think what makes this victory so sweet for Oregon is, A, it's, what, the 15th time in 17 tries that mm-hmm. they have beaten the Huskies. Um, they are, I think, 8-1 and one in their last nine games up in Seattle in this contest. And... They did it in a way where it was very evident they were the more physical, the the stronger, the the, the more tougher football team. Um, there's something to be said about just lining up across from your opponent and both people know what's happening and they can't stop you. Um, that's that's like the ultimate praise in a for a football team. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the fact that Washington talked a lot of trash this week. And they've talked a lot of trash about the Oregon program um, in the off season, and they canceled the football game against against Oregon last year, and then in like less than a minute later, tweeted out of um, confirmation that they won the Pac-12 North Championship. 
Uh, that didn't sit well at the time with people out of Oregon, um, and rightfully so. And it still doesn't sit well with people out of Oregon. And they talked trash through the media this week. And then they were, like I said, I think in one of our podcasts this week, like the only way Washington was going to keep this game close was if they could bait Oregon into some cheap shots and, and some extracurricular activities. And this game was chippy. Mm-hmm. There were players on Oregon's side that, that were trying to deliver the chippiness. Um, but when Oregon, when the game ended, the horn sounded, the, the clock showed triple zero. It was Washington's players talking trash to Oregon, which then Oregon was like, you're going to talk trash? We just beat you by 10 points when we didn't even have to throw the football. You're going to talk trash. And Washington's coaches had to pull players off the field, had to drag guys off the field. There wasn't really a fight, but it, it was definitely close um, to one breaking out. I think that type, all of this combined makes this win so much sweeter from an Oregon perspective because this team very evidently does not like Washington. Mm-hmm. I don't think the staff respects. I mean, I, I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to speak words, but well, I think it's the right words based I, upon some of the things we've seen. And today. and then through the Instagrams, yeah. um, you know, Tyson Alger of I Five Corridor. And um, he he was the first one to report it, and then go on John Canzano's column, and you can get some words there too. Um, I think Jason Capel um, has some looks at it as well. But Tyson uh, Christian, Christian, Christian Capel, that's yeah, that's a small detail, but yeah. Um, but it 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 comes from Tyson Alger of the of the I five corridor. There were some profanities said in the locker room that we were able to watch on social media because players had their socials on, which, by the way, will, will probably not be happening ever again at Oregon no, 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 while no. Mario Cristobal is the head coach. But if you're going to go out and blaze glory, this is how you do it because that locker room was extremely fired up after that one. I think Oregon's going to have a similar like uh, confiscation of phone policy. Yes, as you no see, cell phones in the locker room. Like, like certain house parties and stuff. Like, don't take your phones in. You can't shoot this. Yep. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was pretty great, actually. I, I kind of loved listening to that. And I know there are going to be people who don't like the profanity and don't like And some people want to be able to find it and will probably not be able to find it online. Right. And you can find the quotes in, in Tyson's story um, and in John's story. But um, heavy, like strong words. And I think, honestly, like the right words. I mean, I, I, I mean, for this rivalry and what's been said, like, and again, Mario has been very careful, and, and the entire program oh, has. No one got out of line this whole week in terms of talking about stuff. They made it known. He made it known in that press con- or not press conference in that locker room afterwards what they really felt and how they really felt about Washington. And you said it. There's no. He has no respect for Jimmy Lake. Yeah. He thinks very, very low of Jimmy Lake, and I don't think he thinks much of Washington as a football program. Um, one of the quotes he said is, "There, everything wrong, that's wrong in yeah. football." I mean, that's pretty clear what he thinks there. Um, and I don't think he's wrong. I think Washington has kind of embarrassed themselves this week. And I commend Mario Cristobal and his program for how they've handled themselves publicly. Again, I know some that's of the- that like what happened in the locker room was is private should not come out, and yes. so they're doing things, they're saying things that we should not be knowing about, but we do. Right, and that was the point I was going to make is that and they, this was not intentional. Mario does yes. not want this stuff out there clearly because he has a very clear what he wants to communicate to the media and the public. But this is out here now, and. I kind of love it. This is what rivalry football is kind of supposed to be. Yeah. This has been kind of a muted week, besides Jimmy Lake really speaking out of turn and kind of looking like a doofus. 
I, I'm kind of here for it. And uh, I know Mario's probably not thrilled that this is out here. Sorry, Mario. Uh, but I think you probably made a lot of... I shouldn't say a lot. I, I, I would imagine you made, made a lot of fans, fans and friends in the Oregon <laughs> yeah. fan base than you would have otherwise. So um, strong words, the right words. And if you're Washington... I think you kind of embarrassed yourself with everything that played out this week. And Matt, we were talking about this before. Like it wasn't like you didn't like hit one of his players during the game, and uh-huh. then afterwards said it didn't happen. Um, he separated them. He separated them. Yeah, he didn't strike. He separated, he separated. Him with his fist to his face. Apparently, <laughs> I mean, like he's, Jimmy Lake is not make. I mean, he makes it very easy for people to not respect him and like him. And I don't blame Mario, who's coaching a rival school. For feeling that way, especially when, again, Mario was very careful what he said publicly, and Jimmy Lake took a cheap shot, not even specifically at Mario, but at the entire freaking school that Mario coaches at. I mean, this is pretty low. And then he tried the, and then later on in the week, he, he didn't even try backtracking. He, well, he, he said it, his quote got spun and got snipped and turned into something that it wasn't when then, like, the own Washington media, went back and was like, no, this is exactly <laughs> what you said, and you threw the University of Oregon under the bus, not alone just the football team. And this this is what's going to make this rivalry awesome, I think, because we have two staffs that don't like each other. No. Washington staff does not like how Oregon is. They do not like how they prop themselves up when they win, and, when, and they also don't like how aggressive they are on the recruiting trail. Um, they don't like how Oregon likes to hype, put out the hype. Um, and Oregon clearly does not like how Washington just tries to speak into existence things happening. And you have to actually put in the work to get there. Yeah. And I think last year, the 2020 season, does not sit well with Mario Cristobal because there's going to be that asterisk next to Oregon's name forever, that, hey, they didn't even win their division, but they won the Pac-12 championship. And it's because Washington couldn't follow their own protocols well enough to be available to play in this football game. I don't even know if that's going to matter in a few years. I think, I mean... Oh, I don't think Chris will ever, ever forget yeah, it. Yeah. It'll, yeah. it'll matter to him. Now, that's a different story, though, because Mario has absolutely held some grudges. And <laughs> you it, think? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it starts now. I mean, he's three and zero against Jimmy Lake. Yeah, that's uh, that's all it needs to. Ha- or three and zero against Washington. Yeah, excuse me, two and zero against actually his, his first win over Jimmy. His first over Jimmy. Yeah, and as head coach, yeah, he has. And they in Mario's had Washington's number. This is the second year in a row that Oregon has ground and pounded them in the second half, and just said, you know what, we're going to run over you, and you can try and stop stop us, and it's not going to work. So. I really like that Mario went out there, and obviously it's not his intentions, but I really like that he went out there and, and had those post-game words. And just to like to, to pound it home that this isn't a rivalry, and like this is how you tr- this is how you play these guys. And I think it all started, you know, ever since Jimmy Lake was hired and said, you know, we're going to take back the North and we're going to you know West Coast dominance and all that good stuff that he said. I think that's. Bulletin board material, and even though Mario might not know what bulletin board material is, he certainly <laughs> uses it as such. So, good job, Jerry. This is going to be another game where he uses it as bulletin board material. I just, I, and I think Jimmy Lake might not be the head coach at Washington when the next time Oregon plays them. I kind of want them. I kind of want this I want to, to maintain just because. 
I feel like this back and forth can be really fun, and I would imagine the next coach who enters at Washington, whether firestorm. Be, well, I was just gonna say it's not gonna be a good job. For, I mean, it's a tough spot, but like it's gonna be a lot more buttoned up, not gonna oh, speak yeah. out of line because they're gonna go. The administration will say probably, look at what what Jimmy did last year. Not good. Don't, don't <laughs> yeah. do that again. And I'm all here for more of Jimmy Lake sticking his foot up his butt and saying all sorts of weird stuff because I think it's I think it's great for this rivalry and so don't stop Jimmy keep keep the, him there. The, the, <laughs> to wrap this up, the best way to describe this series now, and we don't have a lot of Washington fans that are going to listen to this podcast, but when speaking to that Washington fan, this is where things are at right now between these two programs. Oregon fan does not want Jimmy Lake to ever stop coaching <laughs> at Washington. They want him to have a lifetime contract. They want him to be there until the world explodes and college football could no longer be played. And when when any team gets to that point with their head coach, when your biggest rival is like, please, keep paying this Stay. guy. keep Please keep this guy. Do not get rid of him. We <laughs> love this guy. Please keep him. That tells you what you need to know. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy Lake, if, 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 now flipping it back to Oregon, if you're a Duck fan, this is probably an awesome week. This is probably going to be an awesome next week. But with the one caveat is this could be the, tip, the iceberg that sinks the ship because this whole week has been an utter embarrassment. You said it on our way home, Eric, that – Jimmy Lake somehow found a way during the week to make Oregon, the school that every school in the conference hates, to be the good guy, to be the guy that you have sympathy for, to like, yeah, I want them to go and beat Washington. No one in this conference roots for Oregon. Everyone hates Oregon because they are amazing at marketing. They pump themselves up. They're a hype machine. They have have Nike money. They win football games. They let you know it. Everyone hates them in the conference. And yet somehow Jimmy Lake found a way to make everyone resonate with Oregon and to root for them in this game because of dumbass comments. And ultimately this is an embarrassing week for them that could, ending it with the punch of the player – be what probably maybe gets him fired. I know Oregon doesn't go head-to-head with Washington in recruiting because of that academic prowess thing, but I would imagine if there's a recruit on the fence after watching that football game, they, they might lean Oregon. I don't know. Probably. Hope Just Josh Connolly was not at that football game. <laughs> yeah, because that would be a bad game. That would time. be a, yeah, very bad. Uh, that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audible's podcast, post-game edition. Thank you for listening to the show. And until... Uh, we talk to you later on this coming week, getting you ready for the Washington State game. Also, men's and women's basketball have games this week uh, at Matt Knight Arena. Did the women, women it, do right? It's a doubleheader. Yeah, it's a doubleheader. Double That's right. Back to back. Back to back on Tuesday. So look forward to that as well. Until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you, folks. Peace.